We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players, authors, personalities, and adult improvers where they discuss their lives, their careers, and share tips about how to improve at chess. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perpetual Chess, Chess Books Recaptured, a monthly, usually, bonus podcast where we discuss a famous or noteworthy chess book. And this month, we will be discussing a book which is both, and we are joined by an illustrious guest, a friend of the pod, um, popular and acclaimed and award-winning author and chessable course creator, one of my personal favorite chessable course creators, I uh, regularly review several of his opening uh, courses. Longtime friend of the pod. He was on episode number six back in the green days of perpetual chess, and again on episode 153 for listeners who have not heard about more about our guest's background. But today he'll be joining us to talk about an absolute classic book. It's become a bit of a lightning rod in recent years, I think, after kind of being universally praised, as far as I could tell, uh, through most of my life. But 
We'll get into all that stuff in due time. First of all, let's welcome our guest. I am Christoph Zalecki, also known as Chess Explained. How are you, Christoph? Hello, Ben. I'm fine. Thanks for having me for this uh, really yeah, very famous book to discuss. It's going to be fun and interesting. Yeah, it should be good. I mean, we, we went for probably, I think it might be the most famous chess book of all time. Um, there's Bobby Fischer Teaches Chess, which probably has sold better, but I think that's because it kind of attracts a more casual audience. But in terms of like tournament chess players, I feel like nothing gets mentioned. Again, love it or hate it more than my system. Can you think of anything else on that level, Christoph? Yeah, probably not. I think um, the 60 memorable games is also a very uh, often mentioned book and also a book that I like very much. Um, sometimes you have Zurich 1953. Those are those all-time classics, right? But I think my system is um, maybe the most famous one, in particular if you're talking about like a, like a textbook, like a manual. It's not a compilation of games or um, yeah, or Zurich 53, like a tournament book, but it's really like... It should teach chess in a way. Yeah, it's it was ambitious, I would say, yeah. more, more so than the other books, which, by the way, I've already done recaps on both of them for any listeners who have not heard them. Gave favorable reviews to both of them. This one, I'd say, would be a bit more mixed. But just for a bit more historical context about my system, uh, first published in German in 1925, it's been through, like, numerous, numerous editions. And part of the reason for that is because it's now in the public domain because it's such an old book. So if you go looking for the book these days, you'll find like a thousand versions and you won't know which one to get. And some of them, to be honest, are just total crap because like anyone with a computer can publish their own version of my system. Um, but Christoph and I both settled on the quality chess version. And Christoph, did you go with, uh, I know it's available in forward chess. Did you read it in forward chess or in paper? I have the paper, um, the paper book. Um, it was a little bit tricky to find out which version to get because um, I, I had a German version all, all the way for years. Um, and it was originally written in German language. Nimsovich was not a German um, by by birth, I think he was Danish, right? And it was really well, born in Latvia, later lived in Denmark. Yeah, yeah. it's really he has a really like illustrious uh, background. But the book was written in German, and even in German there are various versions. Yeah, they they kind of reworked it, and I know that I have a version that is like from the 1980s. It's a uh, pretty pretty old by comparison. There's it seems there has been one in German after that, but there also have been versions before. And they they differ a little bit in the, in the language, like how it is written. It's supposed to be more readable the, yeah, the newer the version is. And similarly, there have been multiple English translations based on the various German versions. Right. And, so it's really a little bit tricky. But I think we got the most recent version. And um, me comparing, um, I, I did compare my German one with the English one. I feel um, if you, even if you have both options, if you can read it in German, but if your English is fine, I would actually recommend to do the English version because I think it's easier to read. It's, it sounds odd maybe, but it's easier to read because the German is kind of, um, yeah, it's written in the style of that time, 1920s, and it has sometimes odd sentences, like the, the grammatical construction is odd, and he uses 
really old-fashioned words. And it could be a problem in particular if somebody wants to read it who is a little bit younger, maybe, yeah, and doesn't have this kind of um, language versatility, maybe. Yeah? I think it could be, happen that people read it in German and just don't understand some sentences because they're a little bit yeah. old. Well, I felt that way reading the English translation as well. And we should mention Quality Chess, uh, one of the reasons we chose, I mean, first of all, obviously they have a great reputation. They put out so many amazing books, but they did a new translation. Mm -hmm. uh, their their new translation was published in 2007 originally, and it's been updated. What I'm what I read is the forward chess version, the ebook version where you can play through the moves. Um, and that was released in 2014. Um, as to the readability, um, as you know, we'll talk about this more in due time, but it it has good moments and bad moments, I would say. So, but it's great that we have Christoph being a native German speaker, give the perspective that to the extent we complain about the readability of this book or critique the readability, um, it's not just a translation issue. I mean, again, first written around 1925, I think 1925 to 1927. Um, so, of course, there's going to be language differences. Um, a little bit more about uh, its author, uh, Grandmaster, or was he a Grandmaster? I should have looked this up. Do you know, Christoph? Well, at the time, technically, they don't have these titles, right? Because there was yeah. the World Chess Federation, but he certainly was a top uh, five, top ten player at his time. So, unquestionably, he would have had a Grandmaster title. Yeah, and yeah, super strong player, um, rated as top five. I peak at number two by uh, chessmetrics.com, a website I enjoy that kind of retroactively tries to uh, rank chess players against their peers and all time. Um, when our buddies Jan Gustafsson and Peter Hein Nielsen did the top 50 players of all time, they slid uh, Mr. Nimzovich in at number 50 and said that he's perhaps a uh, underrated as a player and overrated as an author, um, which <laughs> I can't argue with. Um, he pioneered a lot of ideas. I mean, we're going to get in, we already talked a bit about why this book is so famous. And again, Christoph, as Christoph said, it was very ambitious. It really tried to take you kind of from uh, beginner to intermediate in, in one stop. And he also pioneered some concepts or explained some concepts that had not often been discussed previously, at least to my knowledge, of course, famously prophylaxis, uh, preventing your opponent's plans. Of course, this was a big theme of uh, Grandmaster Kramnik's new chessable course that he talked about in our interview. There's also this idea of overprotection, uh, strategically kind of uh, protecting a square more than it's needed, um, such that it, the idea being like in the future, <laughs> your, your pieces will have more freedom because you don't have to worry about defending this one thing. Um, before we go farther, for anyone listening, um, wondering what rating might benefit most, um, to me, maybe 1,000 to 1,600 fide, something like that. But I mean, Christoph and I also are not going to be unequivocally recommending this book anyway. So just because it's for that rating doesn't mean you you have to read it, right, Christoph? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think it's 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 really a difficult um, judgment to make uh, what the target group might be like. I feel that you could even be rated much higher than that and have an interest in the book because it gives you an historical perspective. I mean, what what you have to understand there, just from from the perspective, is it was written in the 1920s, so roughly 100 years ago, to make it a little bit more easier. And at the time, this was 
the absolute avant-garde of chess. Like, I mean, it was totally new. Nobody thought in those terms. So it was a totally new perspective on the game. And if you if you want a comparison to nowadays, like if you remember the impact that it had when all of a sudden we had neural network engines, people were looking at those games and they were thinking, oh my God, this is fantastic. We have never seen anything like that. It was kind of a, in a way, a revolution, something that really turned things upside down and his ideas were at the time completely in a way not out of this world but really totally new and that was also I feel one of the very first books that had this um, yeah this whole um, let's say um, I'm looking for the English word here that that tried to make make a manual out of these very new ideas um, if you look before like 1920, there are not that many chess books written in that style. Tarash wrote something, of course, but that was all very new. All those like scientific exploration of chess was a pretty new thing. And those ideas at the time were definitely uh, fantastically um, yeah, innovative and, and new. And you have to see this a little bit in comparison. There are game examples in the book that are from 1924, 1925. This at the time was, uh, if, if you if you excuse me, the hot shit, right? There yeah. was <laughs> stuff. It was totally outlandish at times. Yeah, it's like nowadays if we see a fantastically new concept, which is very difficult because in a new way we knew it all. Yeah, like in yeah, in, we don't knew it all, but it's tough to discover something totally new. And at the time. Many of those ideas were totally new. Now, 100 years later, roughly, we know some of those things have stood the test of time and are totally valid, and some are not so much valid. I think that's that's all the only natural, because uh, we have all the experience after that. Yeah, yeah, excellent points. Um, he's yeah. There's going to be good and bad with with a book of uh, of this age. Um, just just a few more and. What you say about it being so revolutionary, introducing so many new ideas is also important. There's kind of like an, an, and it's important for who we recommend the book for, because as you say, I think people who might be most interested, it's not so much about chess strength as people with sort of a historical or sort of academic interest in the history of chess. And some of what he writes gives this sense of sort of academics squabbling. Like he has all these like beefs with Tarash where he's arguing about some concept because they're really fleshing out the ideas. And it's kind of, um, it's, it's not that fun to read. I mean, it's mildly amusing at times, but you know, now that this, this stuff is settled, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, why am I reading this to get better at chess? And Nimzovich, of course, famously very eccentric personality, um, you know, probably best known as a demonstration of his eccentricity for the famed uh, Why Must I Lose to This Idiot story, I believe, yeah. um, told by Hans Kamak, the author of Pawn Power. Like, that's the or- originator of the story. But supposedly, he was trying to win a game against Samish that he would have won the tournament if he won. Instead, he lost. And in the middle of the game, he stands up and yells, Why must I lose to this idiot? So I don't know if it's true or not, but certainly it's been passed down for generations in chess and sort of illustrates the kind of like um, eccentric chess personality that we were dealing with. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, there are some very lengthy parts of the book that deal with questions like what he uh, argued with with, with Tarash. Um, like, 
is the advanced variation of the French any good? Yeah, this is right. what we talk about. And, and nowadays, completely irrelevant what rating you are, this is really not interesting. I mean, yeah. we know that it is a line that can be played. It's neither brilliant nor bad. It's just a normal opening. And the thing is, he makes some kind of um, really academic discussion about it with, with walls of text and you kind of, okay, what is this all about? Yeah, it, it is super theoretical, not theoretical like chess theory. It's very abstract, if that is the right word, yeah, in, in some cases. And you really wonder, okay, what exactly is he talking about? Yeah, like give me more examples or illustrate what you think, right? And this is sometimes um, what also combined with the somewhat old fashioned language makes it difficult because he has this kind of, it has this kind of preacher kind of quality. Like somebody is like, yeah, I've discovered these things. I'm going to tell you time and time again how great it is. Yeah, and then combined with this with this language, um, is kind of difficult at times to digest. Yeah, well said. And and I just want to reiterate, like we're not, you know, our goal isn't like to totally crap on this book because um, <laughs> it's. I feel like uh, it's um the public perception of it has kind of uh, run the gamut in that when I was a kid, I felt like it was universally praised and that's how I first came across it. It was one of the early chess books I read as a teenager because someone recommended it to me. And there was stuff I learned from it that was very useful. That the, And we'll get more into this later, but the chapter is about the seventh rank and open files. So there is good stuff in there. But and now it's like famously Yasser Sarawan is always like hating on this book, even though he wrote an introduction to to one of the editions. Um, and it's just as easy to find a strong player. Recently, when I interviewed Grandmaster Jan Markos, um, author of Under the Surface and The Secret Ingredient, and mentioned that someone had compared his book to my system, he kind of, you know, he didn't really want to be compared to my system. So if anything, it might be a case where like the hate has gone too far. But again, our, our bottom line, and we're, we're still going to dig way more into the book, but our bottom line, I would say, is it's more interesting academically and interesting in air quotes, not like fascinating, but of interest. Um, it's more interesting that way than like strictly for chess improvement. Um, but Christoph, before, I think what we should do is go into the structure of the book a little bit just to explain to people. But first, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is proud to be brought to you in part by Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, is known for its proprietary move trainer technology, which utilizes space repetition to quiz you and make sure that you remember whatever tactical patterns or opening sequences that you're working on. They have a huge catalog of great books from top flight authors, both for purchase. And if you check for their short and sweet courses, you can find tons of free content. Speaking of free content, Chessable, of course, has also recently launched an adult improvement focused chess podcast called How to Chess with yours truly hosting it. Check for it on Chessable's YouTube channel, and you can also subscribe on the podcast platforms. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by aimchess.com. If you haven't checked out aimchess.com by now, what are you waiting for? What aimchess does is it collects your games from the major chess sites and then gives you actionable advice of how to improve your game. It might be to work on a specific opening or to get better at end games or improve your time management or whatever it may be. And then it gives you related puzzles to help you improve that specific skill. They are constantly improving the site. They recently added blindfold tactics, time management training, common checkmate patterns. So there's so much to do there. If you decide to subscribe, be sure to use the promo code PERPETUAL30. Details are in the show notes for aimchess.com. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. And so the book is broken down into different components. Christoph, do you want to um, share how the book is arranged for people? Yeah, and um, before I do that, it's it's mostly two parts, um, and we get to that. But what I learned is, and actually, I, I wondered if I should dive deeper into that, uh, and I decided not to. Also, due to time constraint, is that originally, it wasn't written as a single book. I'm not sure if you did some research, but in it, at first, it was Nimtsovich writing parts of it, and it was briefly later compiled into this one book. So he wrote five parts. And later on, it was compiled into those two parts. So it was originally um, five different things, and they were later on combined. And this is probably a really difficult subject to really like what was in each part and so on, which also sometimes I feel makes the book at the end look a little bit, not saying incomplete, but like you, you understand better why it feels a little bit inconsistent at times, yeah, because it wasn't really written in one go, but it was rather like large articles that were later combined. And what we now see is two uh, parts in this book. The first one, which is roughly, if we take the, the newest version here, the Quality Chess one, is 150 pages called The Elements. And this has eight uh, chapters, this first part. And the second one is, I think, a little bit a little bit less, like 110, 120. And this is called positional play, as he calls it. Um, and the main difference, in a way, is or to how to yeah, differentiate the first part, the elements, um, is more about some basic um, chess concepts. He has picked eight of them. And this is also something that we wondered about because definitely those are valid, interesting concepts, but they feel a little bit, well, incomplete. It, it always has to be incomplete, there's, but there's so much. But why exactly did he chose these ones? So that, that's a little bit difficult to say, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good insight about it being kind of arranged because, yeah, it's definitely all, all over the place in terms of uh, what is what is included just to give listeners just in case you're wondering what's in it the chapters as christoph alluded to the first part the chapters are the center and development open lines for rooks the seventh and eighth rank the pass pawn exchanging pieces elements of endgame strategy pin pieces discovered attacks and the pawn chain and christoph you you had raised a point about like the the tactics in there right they're a little out of place it's a little bit weird, yeah. Especially like discovered uh, attacks or pinned pieces. Of course, those can be part of a strategic plan or outline. Absolutely true. But if you have discovered attacks, uh, well, why not have some other subjects? Like you could easily put in some, something else or more. Or it's a little bit. It's a little bit odd. Um, however, I felt. And I didn't really remember it that way because when I read the book um, originally, I was probably in my teens, pretty long while ago. 
um, I didn't really remember those first parts that well. I, I more remembered the overprotection and prophylaxis, those things that you kind of um, associate with Nimzovich. Those first, this first part of 150 pages, I didn't really remember that well. And now rereading it, I kind of like it. This is not yeah. bad. There are um, quite a number of pretty good examples and in particular things like open files, the seventh rank. I think you like this one. Yeah. It I also did. Um, I think this can be pretty instructive. I mean, absolutely, that's valid. And definitely if we talk, think about target groups, yeah, people in that rating range between 1,000 or 1,600, this is range, they could definitely um, benefit from looking at those chapters. Yeah, he had an insight like that I didn't remember from my first time reading it decades ago. The the purpose of an open file is to get your rook to the seven, rook or queen to the seventh or eighth mm -hmm. rank. Do you, Christoph, as a much stronger player than I, do you do you find that useful advice for club players? Is that a good rule of thumb? Because I hadn't heard that construction before, or I guess I had, but I didn't remember it. Yeah, I think you you want some. Is that good English? Some. Some uh, open up some some inroads for your pieces, right? You want to right. kind of get the attack going, and usually that will be right in the heart of the opponent's camp. Yeah, it, it does make some sense for sure. Um, I, I like yeah. those examples. I think it's it's pretty good. I mean, I looked at the whole first part um, in a bit more detail because that was something that I didn't remember that well that it even was in there, and I mean, I found many. Um, issues with with evaluations and and things like that but i think it's generally useful if you are a stronger player and are kind of critical about evaluations like he sometimes states yeah, here white is much better and you look at this and you think nah and then you do a dungeon check just to be sure and then black is somewhat better this happens yeah of course book. i mean it, it happens um in some cases i feel he wants to get a point across that he, he tries to make with his concepts, but um, he, he neglects others in a way. Yeah? So he shows like, this is my idea and it's illustrated here, but there could also be a counterpoint yeah, to that idea. Um, and sometimes um, this, this doesn't, doesn't uh, quite add up. I don't think this is too awful for the reader if, if there's the odd problem there. Um, what I wouldn't really do is um, to follow his opening advice to a T. He just analyze some openings, really the very first moves, when most of the advice is just wrong. I mean, yeah, yeah it, it's really at times uh, he says this move is the best move and so on, and it is by far not the best and even would get you in trouble. But these are just like maybe four or five positions out of all those whatever thousands that you could get in an opening. So it's not like it would hamper your chess uh, improvement all that much because you would copy Nimzo's openings variation. That, that, that wouldn't be a big problem. It's just that if you are very critical and think it should be, everything should be checked and should be correct, of course, it cannot be. It's, it's 100 years old and we've just learned after that. Yeah. And um, I don't know if this is in your paperback version, uh, Christoph, you can let me know in a minute. But uh, to their credit, uh, Jakob Agard and Grandmaster John Shaw of Quality Chess, like 
they include a couple extra essays um, also in the book. So we've got the two main parts, but then in the quality chess version, there's also called a postscript, which is the history of the revolution in chess from 1911 to 1914. And that's where Nimzo squabbles the most. That part I found really unreadable. Um, And then uh, there's a nice brief... um, uh, Nimzo in the computer age at the very end, which gets into some of the errors that that Christoph is alluding to. So I think it's to their credit that they decided, okay, we're going to leave the book alone. We're not going to mess with the main uh, part of the book, but let's just kind of go through some of the lines uh, that Nimzo highlights and point out a few mistakes and a few things that he got right as well. And uh, Jakob Agard himself, of course, uh, famed instructor of... Uh, of um, uh, Sam Shankland and uh, founder of uh, Killer Chess Training and has written some uh, amazing books. He writes an essay called Nimzo for the 21st Century. And I'd just like to read um, a couple, um, a, a little excerpt from what, what Agard has to say in terms of placing this in historical context. So he says, during the second half of the 20th century, so this is after my system, chess underwent a transformation. The most important change was probably realizing the importance of dynamics. While some moves were ruled out on principle at the beginning of the 20th century, when my system was written, mm-hmm. even in 1925, when this book was originally published, a more scientific a- approach gradually took over. He's going to give some brief headlines over the next few pages, but would recommend that readers refer to John Watson's Secrets of Modern Chess Strategy Development since Nimzovich for a deeper understanding of how modern chess is approached by the strongest players. Like Nimzovich, Watson is not necessarily correct in every detail of his analysis, but as with my system, reading his book will undoubtedly, undoubtedly enhance the reader's understanding of how chess works. Watson describes the principle of rule independence as the main paradigm shift during the 20th century. Many classical players tended to follow the rules, the guidelines more rigidly than a modern player would. Um, And Watson gives some examples and he goes on to talk about that. So that gets back to what we were saying about this being most interesting, perhaps from an academic perspective. Um, Watson's book, Secrets of Modern Chess Strategy, is a classic and I really enjoy it. But it's also um, it's as equally academic as practical. Now, before I read one more quote, Christoph, is that part, are those parts in the paperback version that yes. you have? Yes, it's, I think it's more or less identical to what you have on Forward Chess. It has this, um, what was it called? Uh, like uh, developments between this and that year. I'm not sure. Yeah. That, that is that's in there. And also the, the I think, um, I'm not sure, like five pages or so, not not much of like corrections that, that Shaw and I think Augard put put in there. I have to say though that they are, let's say, um, corrections, they are not at all um, comprehensive. I mean, yeah. like you, if you would really be very, very picky and look at everything, you would f- probably have to discard half of the evaluations, but that's really too much. And then you would kill the book basically, like everything, every second sentence would have a footnote and that doesn't make any sense. Um, there are just some um, some pretty uh, yeah pretty um, hard examples like in the book where he shows games um, where he was totally outplayed. I mean, completely outplayed to an extent that if you put a computer on and you don't need that to see that he was outplayed, where he's totally lost and he just annotates it like he's just like demonstrating his superiority. All the <laughs> right, and that is really a little bit odd. Yeah, when you think like, oh man. He's got no space. All the pieces are on bad squares. How can black be better? Yeah, and then then he wins because the other guy makes some mistakes, which 
in a way that would be very instructive to show. Like, yeah, he tried some concept, uh, Nimzovic, it didn't work out because the other guy played well and then he bungled it up. But it, that is not shown in the book. Yeah, He kind of mm, mostly wants to show that his ideas are valid and takes uh, win games, games that he wins and doesn't so much. It's not sure. I'm not sure if he like pur purposefully didn't mention how bad the position was or if he really didn't understand it. That's really tough to say. Yeah, it is hard to say. And certainly, I mean, I feel like the way books have evolved, they're just, you just used to have to defer to authority in chess. Like if, mm -hmm. if, if I was reading a book and, you know, a world-class player tells me a position is better, I'm just going to believe it, you know? Um, and obviously this is way pre-internet, the way information was disseminated, sure. like, even if you say something that's total crap, like, you know, the, the marketplace of ideas was not, it wasn't disseminating information as broadly. So you may or may not be, uh, be a punished for it. So like you say, Christoph, who knows if it was, uh, you know, to boost his ego sort of by design, or if it was just an analytical error. Um, it, it's impossible to say, but certainly not unusual for its time. Um, I wanted to read uh, one more Agard quote uh, from, from his excellent passage, because I do think, despite the fact that obviously if Quality Chess is publishing a newer version, you know, they don't mind if you buy it, but I felt like he was reasonably uh, even-handed. So the last thing Agard says in his essay is, in, in conclusion, chess understanding has certainly evolved and expanded since my system was written. Anything else would be a wonder, but that does not destroy the relevance of this classic book. Modern chess thinking is a refinement of previous ideas, leaving the study of my system as an essential part of a full chess education. Um, so I might take small issue with the study. You know, again, for chess improvement, I don't think it's indispensable. Um, but for chess knowledge, like if you, you know, if you want to be a well-rounded chess bibliophile, obviously you need to have read it. What do you think, Christoph? Yeah, probably. I, I think um, this also... Yeah, this would um, basically um, have the argument that you should be a little bit stronger player, right? I mean, to, right? Yeah, because if you're going to be judging it, yeah, to to appreciate what's right, what's wrong, in a way, what was really revolutionary at the time, what has stood the test of time, we have to say also that there are many games in the book, in particular in the second part that we will get um that's it's called positional play right i always forget the name yeah where we get to this like prophylaxis and uh, uh overprotection which is which is really not <laughs> not a thing but we will get there um when we get to those examples some of those games are fantastic i mean really excellent games and if you put it in historical context um, he was so far ahead in some of the ideas that he was able to realize in the games. That's that's really astonishing. I mean, my favorite game of Nimsovich, and probably that that is um, applies to many players, is his black win in the Nimsovinian against Jona from Dresden, I think, nineteen twenty six. It's always weird, yeah, if a German tries to pronounce a German city name like Dresden. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, um, that's a fantastic game. I mean, and I re I looked at it only again yesterday and, and wanted to check it again. And it's really brilliant just on its own. But if you like give it, give it to a modern computer, right? I mean, he plays all the top engine moves in the opening. I mean, even uh, with 100 years later, we have all this technology and 
now technology agrees with what he thought of like over the board 100 years ago, which is fantastic. And um, the, I was really um, amazed again by this game. That was actually the game that I, that like when I was a kid or whatever, a teenager that, um, yeah, that brought me to, to, to get the book. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you knew the game first. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at like various openings. And so and that was, that game was often mentioned in context of Nimzovich, how the Nimzo Indian defense works yeah, with the double pawns on the C file and so on. And then I saw the game and um, okay, I have to get the book. And well, this is how it happened uh, roughly 30 years ago when I got the original book. Um, yeah. And this is, this is outstanding stuff. Even for today, if somebody wants to learn how the Nimzo Indian works, I would still look at that game, even though it's so old. Yeah. And uh, again, Peter Hein Nielsen and Jan Gustafsson and their, and their 10 minute video on Nimzo in the top 50 players. That's the game that they showed. Um, I was just looking it up to try to, to play through the moves while you were, while you were talking. And uh, I saw that uh, YouTuber King's Crusher has a video restrain blockade attack is the title of the video. Great, great title because those are the three themes of the game. So listeners, whether you buy this book or not, you definitely want to review John or Nimzovich and uh, check out um, Jan and Peter's series, uh, Peter and Nielsen, obviously, if you have a uh, Chess24 membership. We're going to go to break in a second, but I also just wanted to read a couple of the quotes because we've been mentioning how the book's become a lightning rod, but obviously there's also, um, there's just tons of praise for the book. And again, especially, say, 30 years ago. So uh, Mikhail Tal, in one of the promotional lines for one of the editions, says, the book is full of the elixir of chess youth. And uh, Arthur Yusupov, who you got to announce with Christoph, as we discussed yeah. the last time you were on the podcast, uh, legendary uh, quality chess author, as luck would have it, said, Nimzo did not just write a simple handbook of opening lines, but a manual of chess. So again, uh, don't don't mean to be uh, universally negative about this book. There's plenty of good stuff. And uh, and I, we're, what I'd like to get into next is just sort of a bit more about the writing style, a few quotes, um, just to go a little deeper. But first, let's take one more break to hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by ChessMood.com. ChessMood is a subscription video service by a team of GMs headed by Grandmaster Avchek Gregorian, who you can hear on episode 192 of Perpetual Chess. They offer a comprehensive video library featuring an opening repertoire for both colors, as well as courses on middle game and end game mastery. They also have great free content. Avtech has an insightful blog, and they have a YouTube channel featuring daily lessons with a grandmaster. So all the links you need if you want to find out more are in the show description, or just go to chessmood.com and have a look around if you're interested. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are back. And before we get a little deeper into the book, one other side note I forgot to mention. Uh, of course, uh, I am John Watson, a uh, book reviewer. He's reviewed for The Week in Chess in the past, and now he's reviewing books for uh, U.S. Chess for Chess Life magazine. Uh, legendary author and um, 
chess encyclopedia. Um, he wrote a review for the weekend chess of my system some years ago. But if you do some internet digging about my system, you'll you'll come to I'm, I'll link to it too. But you'll come to his review very quickly. And I think he does a good job, of course, it's very even handed. But one thing he says that, that uh, listeners might come across is that Lou Hayes apparently wrote an edition that originally or uh, released an edition that originally came in uh, 1991. And John Watson said that that was the most readable version. He was uh, mildly critical of the quality chess version. At the time it came out in 2007, he said there were some typographical errors and stuff. Um, Jakob Agard and John Watson have a bit of a history. So I don't, I don't know to what extent uh, that tied into it, although both will tell you that it's it's overblown um, in, in their defense. But in any event, so the Lou Hayes version, I tried to buy on Kindle, but it says it's no longer available on Kindle. I was hesitant anyway because... Uh, I got to be honest, I wasn't dying. Like, obviously, we put a lot of work into these podcasts every week, but I wasn't going to read a whole nother my system because it's a bit of a, a, a dry read as it is, as we've alluded to. Um, but I did just want to mention that John Watson said that that was the most readable version. So listeners, uh, do with do with that information as you please. Um so let's get a little deeper into the book. So the way I would describe Nimzo's writing style, again, we've gotten to um, to the fact that it's it's quite academic at points and a lot of uh, squabbling. But generally, I would say there's some good chess instruction, some classic games and fragments, as we've lo- alluded to. But there's also a weird mix of like bad dad jokes and tortured analogies and, of course, all the grudge settling. So I wanted to give some examples of each just to, to give listeners um, a little bit of context. How did you like his jokes, Christoph? <laughs> well, not at all. <laughs> but I kind of, I mean, I have to say that I don't really want any. I mean, I would like to have clarity in the writing. Like, just not, not, I, I generally think he has too much text. Né? I mean, just yeah. walls of text and I like more examples and, and, and straightforwardness in the writing. Just to, to give you the other end of the spectrum, that would be Sam Shankland, right? Right. Pretty brief to the point. Like, and sometimes he's, he's a little bit, I'm not sure what the right word is. Like he has its funny moments just because of his bluntness. Exactly. Yeah. And and this is kind of what I like. Yeah. And not like talk for ages. If whatever Tarash is right in this opening, whatever, it doesn't really help you. Um, What I found particularly weird. I mean, but we're getting there. This are those diagrams, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I forgot to mention those. Those are bizarre. Um, Yeah. We might as well just talk about that now. Yeah. That's the one other is he has these flow charts that I don't even know what planet they come from. He calls then the book they're called uh, schematic diagrams. They're often at the end of a chapter. Um, Yeah. And yeah, they, they're just like, this leads to this. I mean, you know, I can put a, a picture of one, in in the show description or whatever, but basically they they obfuscate rather than illuminate. I would say, and uh, I posted a screenshot on Twitter and at at the time I was reading it and was like, what on earth are these things? And uh, say chess, Martin Eustacen, shout out to Martin. Um, he weighed in and said that in his Swedish version they don't exist. So um, so in some versions they got rid of them. But yeah, you weren't a fan either, Christoph. No, I just I just didn't understand them and. And I felt like, in particular, if you are, um, if you are the target group, let's say, because they are also in the in the part of the book that have those basic concepts. Yeah, yeah. I felt that must be highly irritating. Yeah, because it <laughs> I mean, really, it didn't make much sense to me. But 
yeah, and it it can be that this is something that was added at at some point and wasn't in the original script. Maybe this is the the different. Uh, versions maybe of them. I learned that also, like in German, there are also various versions. Maybe, uh, let me check actually. I have the German version here. They also have the diagrams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it, 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 it's funny. It's titled Small Schematic Display About Pins. And it's like one page of weird stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really hard to explain, but yeah, and I I spent a minute looking at it. I was like, because I don't know, I'm not that type of learner. Some people maybe generally diagrams uh, do help them. They don't generally help me anyway. But I was like, all right, let me try. And I still, I just like I tried to follow one line connecting to the next, and it just didn't do it for me. Um, maybe just maybe I don't know. Um, I mean, taking taking us back 95 years, maybe at the time this was a new thing. Yeah, it's possible eh, that in some other textbooks, I don't know, manual about some 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 scientific stuff that was used for the very first time. It's possible, and and he adapted it. It's possible. Yeah, it is. And um and on the topic of of the jokes, yeah, I couldn't agree more with your assessment, Christoph. There's a bit of a try hard element to it, like. Um, and obviously, uh, humor in instructional chess books, like as, as you alluded to, it's kind of a tough act to pull off. Um, Jeremy Soman has his moments. I mean, I think one of the great credits of his books overall is just that they're readable and they have their moments of humor second. Um, but beyond that, and as you say, Sam Shanklin is awesome and it's not so much. I mean, there are clearly moments where he's trying to be funny, but it's also just like, uh, being so honest that, that he's funny, but there aren't that many. Um, generally, I'm not going to chess books looking for humor. And so just to give an example of what I'm the type of uh, joke I'm, I'm talking about, he says uh, early in the book, when delivering a lecture on open files in Scandinavia, I was in the habit of concluding with the following words. I hope, gentlemen, that these rules about open files have served to open your eyes. My little joke, which was partially a serious r remark, was never contradicted. So, I mean, if he didn't tell me it was a joke, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known. What, yeah, about, yeah. what about you, Christoph? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was, there was one in, that, I, that I read in the German version when he makes some weird comparisons, yeah, like comparing, I don't know, pawns to, 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 to piglets or something. It was really odd. I was like, wow, that's not funny at all. But I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really a bit strange. I mean, just to be clear, I love um, some humor in a chess book if you – if you have ever read uh, Tal, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You love, uh, no, it's just great stuff because of like storytelling and so on. But um, if you discuss like pro and cons of IQPs, yeah, I don't know. It's really difficult to be funny. And it often yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> just yeah. And the piglets also, that gets into the category of the tortured analogy, which again, maybe I'm just a little dense, but I wanted to read uh, one. So he's talking about a move, uh, knight d5. So he says, let us compare the knight d5 move with a recently published newspaper. Then the rook d1 would be like the capital, which is backing the firm. And what role is layered by the e-pawn, that of a supporting political party? You see, a magazine with both capital and a party base behind it can correctly be considered to be resting on solid foundations. But if one of the two preconditions was not met, our paper, the outposts, would suddenly lose all prestige and importance. So, again, I mean, it's almost 100 years later, but 
uh, I didn't find that to um, clear up what he was talking about in in any way. Um, and also, what I also sometimes thought about, if you think about target groups, um, think about and maybe junior players. Yeah, give that text to a I don't know twelve year old. What is he doing with it? It's kind of odd. I don't, I don't think that would ever work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and yeah, we've already mentioned the tip for tat with uh, Tarash. I took a big block quote, but I'm actually going to skip it. But again, uh, along with the schematic diagrams, I would say the the postscript where he's going back and forth with Tarash is uh, my least favorite part in the book. Um, structurally, uh, Christoph, I don't know if you had this feeling. I feel like you might have from what you said earlier, but in rereading the book, when I was rereading the first half, it exceeded my expectations. I didn't have super high expectations. Um, but then when I got to the second half, uh, it started to really drag. And when I finished, I was elated. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's it's at times um, a bit... Um, it just He takes a long while of going about like his disputes with Tarash or the benefits of overprotection. And I mean, this overprotection thing... Is is often I think rightfully uh, ridiculed, yeah, because yeah. It really, it really doesn't make all that much sense. Um, in a way, I thought about this a little bit, and like, why why are there examples where it seems to make sense? Quite often, I think it's just about when he says you should um, overprotect a strong point. Um, it's often just the fact that those strong points are often in the middle of the board. I mean, just naturally, mm. they are important, strong because they are central points, let's say the E5 square or the E5 pawn, he often would overprotect it, like hey, put a knight on a three, put a bishop on a four, put a rook on E1. And he kind of says, this is great because it's overprotection, but it's probably just good because it's centralizing. Yeah, You put the pieces in relation to an important point, then it's probably that they are kind of well-placed because this point is important because it's in the middle of the board. So there is some point to it, but he's always trying to like build or build up some kind of theoretical foundation around it that is not really there. Yeah. Like you could just say the pieces are well positioned because mm, they control the center and not they overprotect a point. Yeah? And um, I agree, the second part is tough, even though there are, as mentioned, some really brilliant game examples. And I think. He also, what I liked is, I think his um, annotations of games that were not played by him, but by other people, where there are two players where he was not involved, um, those were really quite good. I mean, there yeah. was there's one great game by Rubinstein, for example, against um, Duras, 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 something, yeah, D-U-R-A-S, Duras, um, a game that I like very much, and I felt his um, annotation was really, really fine. I mean, I mean, okay, maybe you can do it better, but it was really fine and um, not so, um, let's say, one-sided in a way, which sometimes um, the games are that he annotates of himself. Where you kind of feel, it, it always feels like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the great revolutionary right, yeah. player and I'm trying to demonstrate why, why this is good. Oftentimes, um, we have to say um, that his opposition was relatively weak where he demonstrated the ideas. You wouldn't find like games uh, that he won against Alekhine or Capablanca or so, because that was not so easy then to show. Yeah, yeah, I, 
better analysis when there's no ego to protect, I guess. I guess so, yeah. And I still think there are um, plenty good examples there. And you just also have the, the other end of the spectrum. You have some stuff where he's playing really weird, weird openings and you think, okay, this is just bad. And then it turns out to be a win at the end because he's a better player. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on the topic of overprotection, I once saw Magnus Carlsen himself kind of lampooning that theme uh, in prep for this podcast. I tried to find it, but I, could, I couldn't find the clip, but I know that he, he uh, had a laugh at some point about that concept. Um, and your insight about like, it often being in the center is a good one. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, yeah, it's just not the most useful construction, probably at least in terms of uh, modern chess. But I mean, he also has some rightfully famous quotes. I mean, probably I think the most famous quote of all is in the the past pawn chapter where he has a less tortured analogy where he says a, a past pawn is a criminal, which should be kept under lock and key. Mild measures such as police surveillance are not sufficient. Um, and he famously talks about the past pawns lust to expand. Um, so that, uh, rightfully very famous chapter, some great insights that, that do get quoted to this day. So, um, definitely, uh, worthwhile insights. Uh, I liked the chapter on isolated pawns, uh, Christoph, um, how does that hold up in, in your analysis as like a, a international master? Um, the IQP, right? I mean, yeah. Well, 1920s, yeah? um, I mean, the, the, the big advances in handling the IQP were made in the age of Bodwinnik. Yeah? We have all those famous Bodwinnik games with the IQP, and he played it in a much more dynamic fashion. Yeah? Nimzo oftentimes has examples where the side with the IQP played it a little bit slowish and not as dynamic. I think there have been yeah significant advances for sure also in that regard. It's yeah, Agard actually gives an ex- a specific example um, of the sort of modern treatment compared to Nimzo in his section. Yeah, um, it, it's still. I mean, there are there are useful points for sure. I mean, you can certainly make an argument if you look, look at IQP specifically. If you want to learn that, and if you are a little bit um, more advanced as a player, there's a famous book by Baburin. Yeah, the I think Winning Pawn Structures. It's called. Yeah, it's also a little bit old nowadays, like twenty years, but it's still okay. You can, you can use that fine. Um, yeah, I think most of those chapters have their their real highlights, but also some some weird spots. But it's it's okay. I don't really think it's it's terrible. It's just like we we do have nowadays a bit better insight about most things, and um, probably also better books to, to help you with some of those. Huh? Yeah, Agard actually mentions the Baboran book um, in in the postscript as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone on Twitter, uh, Neil Bruce, um, and I have the pawn book championship that that Neil uh, works so hard on. Um, I don't. I actually don't know if what we're recording now is going to come out before or after Neil's. Um, Neil's analysis, but I think we forgot to mention because someone asked, why didn't you include the Baboran book? And the reason is it's out of print. Um, I did see uh, I did see Baboran mentioned on Facebook at some point that he's uh, working on an updated version. So, you know, maybe someday we'll do a podcast about that. But since you brought it up, Christoph, I did just want to um, throw that in. Um, go ahead. I have it on my shelf, but I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have the book, but uh, yeah, anyway, sorry. 
No worries. Yeah, Christoph is looking at his uh, beautiful bookshelf there and uh, searching for it. Yeah, I don't have it, but, you know, having seen that there's a new version, I'm also not in a rush to, like, pay $200 for it. Um, but definitely looking forward to uh, checking it out when the time comes. Um, and, you know, other than that, Christoph uh, has a lot of sort of specific critiques um, about about the book, like relating to things that he says that are wrong, things that he says that are right. And and these are very important. Um, but I think a lot of people thinking about reading it again, uh, stronger, more experienced players with an interest in chess history, I think to some extent, Christoph will be able to discern that stuff on their own if they're paying attention or certainly working with an engine. What would you say about the in- someone who's thinking, despite our kind of mild warnings that it's going to be boring at times, but like an improving club rated player below 1600, who's thinking about reading it. Do you think that the, um, the technical errors, the uh, analytic errors make it like less worthy as an instructional book than other ones, Christoph? I personally find the readability more of an issue to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I just think there are easier, you you can I mean in in some cases um, those words of text are really an obstacle yeah you really have to go through it like okay what is he talking about then and I think it can be just done much more yeah compressed less text a little bit more to the point maybe some more examples there are also what I find always useful there are no exercises in the book yeah not something that you would have in in, in such a book at the time. Um, so, for example, if you you refer to the, the 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 pawn structure or pawn books that Neil is going through, right? Yeah, many books in there I think that have great instructional value and are much more readable. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, chess structures, of course, the power of pawns by Hickel. Um, and my number one in terms of like a substitute recommendation. Again, did a podcast about this book. Um, those are the books I know best. What can I say? Mm-hmm. But uh, Simple Chess, which despite being a, a pretty old book, uh, it's a lot more readable. It's like mm-hmm. night and day. Um, so Simple Chess would be in my number one recommendation as a substitute. And uh, Jeremy Selman, um, you know, a lot of people love him. Uh, I like him. I like his works. Um and I would definitely recommend them over that. Um, I know Neil Bruce is a big fan of winning chess strategies as well by Yasser Sarawan. I think that's got some good positional insights. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is the modern age. We don't have to pretend like videos don't exist. Obviously, someone like John Bartholomew, if you look up a given topic on YouTube, I mean, amazing positional player and great teacher. So uh, there's plenty of ways to learn these concepts that don't involve necessarily sort of uh, banging your head against the wall. Yeah. And I mean, put it into perspective also, Nimzovic was certainly um, a very strong player at the time, and he was winning tournaments ahead of all those great players. Yeah, I mean, he was often actually placing, I looked at all the cross tables, uh, they are in the book as well, um, like Nimzovic's tournament results. Um, he sometimes won events ahead of the greats of the time, but he was often and very consistently placing second, third, fourth. So he had very good results. But put into perspective, if you think about like general chess knowledge and understanding, like a modern I am, like like John, for example, who also has a teaching background, right? He would just be the better player to explain stuff. Yeah. It's it just what it is, like in modern language and with all the perspective of like almost 100 years later that we now have a more 
refined look on some of those concepts. Like Nimzovich, um, of course, was right about many concepts that he had, but we have to see that he had to take examples for those concepts out of like a span of three or four years. Like when he started to play, he died at a very young age. So there was not like he could um, use examples from 100 years, just like some years when he was playing and he couldn't really use examples from other players because they didn't play in that way so much. And nowadays, if you would look at some of those concepts that he had, like prophylaxis or um, restraining a majority, whatever it is, we could now draw on many more examples and sometimes better examples. So he sometimes tries to prove a point that is valid, but with the limited um, yeah, choice of examples that he had, they would be flawed, which is not a critique in itself. It's just like it's logical in a way. Yeah, now we just we can draw on millions of games and sometimes find better examples. So I think it would be very useful to look at some of the concepts just with modern examples, which is, for example, what um, is great about the chess structures book by by Rios. He takes all yeah. the modern games and like filters out um, great concepts and ideas for certain pawn structures. But it's a it's a modern take with relatively um, new examples. Yeah, well said. Um, and there's something peculiar about chess. I think it might be because before the internet age, uh, information was kind of handed down more often. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you had a trainer, they're the one, they're the authority. You know, you you don't have that many ways to um, increase your your knowledge base as as compared to now. Because Peter Hein Nielsen, again in the uh, top fifty players, he was saying like if you're trying to learn about science. Uh, these days, you don't read a science book from 1925, um, which was part of the reason he was saying this isn't his his favorite book to read these days. But there's something about chess where if a new player asks someone for a book recommendation, they're you know, especially if the person they're asking is like busy or something, they're they're just going to recommend, uh, you know, in this case, 98 year old book, 96 um, year old book, excuse me. Um, and that doesn't seem to happen in other fields. I mean, of course, there's like On the Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. But like, again, when you read a book like that, you're like, okay, I'll learn some things and I'll see that he was ahead of his time. You're not like, this is, I'm going to learn the most about science for the time invested. And again, in my sort of trolling the chess internet, someone said that, uh, uh, shout out, I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was on Chess Reddit, said that uh, Nimzovich is to chess as Sigmund Freud is to psychology. So obviously Freud, I'm not a big psychology expert by any means, but he's been discredited. A lot of the things he said has been discredited and he was considered quite eccentric, but still a touchstone. Um, and I think that's a little harsh to Nimzovich, honestly, but uh, but it's interesting food for thought. Of course, if you, if you, are, if you think about a chess player, uh, who's um, learning the game and then improving over over years or whatever time span? In a way, we um, I think that's also a point that um, is that is that in Willie Hendricks's book, The Origin of Good Moves. I'm not quite yeah sure that he says that we develop in a way like chess history developed. Yeah, we we develop uh, we start as a like look at um, very like the basic opening, think about attacking mostly, and then we relearn a little bit, like we adjust it, we get new things in. And in a way, a book that is 100 years old is in a way like a chess player in its development. It's, it's not yet complete. It has some things that's right, 
some things that's wrong. And in a way, you can say if you learn the odd thing that is not quite right in such an old book, you can easily relearn it. The question is, is, is the path to this kind of, yeah, incomplete information is that an easy one or not yeah and, and yeah sometimes it's not very easy yeah I, my most problem my, my main problem is really uh, like readability and it sometimes it can be really irritating like okay what on earth is he talking about yeah <laughs> yeah it's hard it's hard to exaggerate how excited i was to finish the book and and again during the course of reading it i wasn't suffering as much as i expected but by the end i was like oh man hurry up uh so, but I mean, I think we, we've said what we need to say about the book. Yeah. Um, so, so a uh, couple housekeeping notes uh, for next month. Um, we are going to go with one more old book classic. And I don't know what I'm doing in, in two months, but it will not be like a 80 plus year old book. I promise you that much. But next month, uh, Chess Punk, uh, Chess Twitter, um, member uh, Jesse Shakarian will be joining me and she and I will be discussing Chess Fundamentals by Capablanca. So looking forward to that. Um, I've actually never read it. Uh, have you read it, Christoph? I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure because I read many uh, books as a as a teenager, as I said, that I donated at some point. And I don't, right. I don't think I read it, actually. I read many uh, older things, but I don't think I read that one. When, when that, that has that has to be also from around that time period, or yeah, even older. I'm not sure when Capablanca, or would I'm not sure. Did he write it himself? Is that absolutely sure? I'll be able to answer these questions better in one month, but I believe that he did. Um, yeah, it would um, be interesting in a way maybe to compare, right? Like the writing style and things like that. That would be certainly interesting. Yeah, originally published 1921. Um, but anyway, we'll get more into that next month. And then last but not least, I mean, of course, Christoph, just want to thank you so much. I mean, a player with, of your stature with your knowledge of chess, it's a, quite a treat for, for you to uh, donate your time. And um, I would like to make a small donation. And I ask you and you uh, are going to follow the footsteps of our most recent recapper, Nate Solon, and we're going to make another uh, donation to uh, Chess and Slums, Friends of the Pod, Chess and Slums. So thank you for for volunteering that. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a great uh, great effort. Yeah, that uh, Tunde is the name, right? I, I keep yeah, Tunde Unakoya. Yeah, that's a really great effort. I think it's it's great to um yeah to uh, get chess um yeah to be played all around the world, and I think it can be very helpful as a tool, uh, also in, in in countries like Nigeria or generally in Africa. I think yeah, it'd be a good thing. Good stuff. And Christoph, before we let you out of here, can what can you say about what you know? You're always you're updating your old courses. Uh, obviously, I'm a longtime fan of you and Daniel Barish's Nimzo course and your uh, Sveshnikov course. R.I.P. to uh, Evgeny Sveshnikov. And I, even though I. I'm not a full-time E4 player, but I recently, when it was on sale, I picked up Keep It Up E4, uh, um, sorry, your your book about one E4, your course about one E4, and I know you're still updating that to this day, but what else is going on? You have any other courses you're working on? Um, yeah, multiple courses, actually. This is a bit different than uh, before when I was like doing one, then the other, and so on. Now I'm working on many things at the same time, and it's not quite clear what's going to be out first. I think probably keep it simple for black. Okay. Next, which will be one course to um, answer every single white move. So it should be one course for, for everything. Yeah. You don't need parts. 
one, two, three, that's just one. That is the first one. Um, I'm working also on a black repertoire against 1d4, which is not quite clear when it will be released, but it will be 2022. Okay. And, and I have some ideas, let's say, that are a little bit too too vague. I have like started files on them. And okay. in some cases, I think it's similar to like maybe movie projects or, or, or um, yeah, like regular books. Yeah, you, you start it and you don't know if it's ever going to be a final, <laughs> a final right. thing, right? So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. In particular, I keep it simple for black is something that I wanted to do for a while. And I think now it's time to do it. And um will be will be interesting. I think also very practical. I want to not um do too many variations. I want to really keep it a little bit leaner, right? And make it digestible. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to it as we do all of your work. We should also mention, uh, of course, Christoph was on How to Chess. So if anyone listening still isn't subscribed ahem, to How to Chess, uh, even if you don't listen, subscribe and at least listen to Christoph's episode. So on that note, Christoph, thanks so much for lending your time and your, especially your German expertise to uh, this uh, classic lightning rod of a chess book. Yeah, it was it was actually interesting for me also to revisit the book, and I was, to be honest, um, positively surprised. I think we 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 got that across that it has many positive sides and some great, um, yeah, classic uh, classical games that are, it's, that are worth studying. It has its pros and cons, and I think we clearly um, yeah made this statement. I actually like it more now than I did before because I was mm -hmm. more thinking about the the weird statements sometimes or the analysis that even when I was a teenager looked wrong to me. Um, and I really, this is also a little bit maybe um, how you handle things. I really don't like um, to being told stuff that I see, okay, this is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And you can nowadays pretty much clearly say it's wrong. Yeah. Um, and this is something that maybe people take differently. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't like that so much. <laughs> like, okay, that is wrong. Stop preaching to me stuff that's wrong. But in a historical perspective, it's um, definitely um, worth reading. And um, yeah, something you can definitely pick up, even though there are good alternatives, as you mentioned. Yeah. So yeah, the, the hate has maybe gone a little too far, but if you read it, don't expect to be on the edge of your seat the whole time. <laughs> I think yeah. that's uh, fair to say. All right. Well, Christoph, this has been great. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to your next your next um, course and your next Perpetual Chess appearance, whenever that may be. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible, most of all to my producer, Matthew Passy. I also would like to thank everyone who helped spread the word about the show. Did you guys know that there's still people who have not heard of the Perpetual Chess podcast? There's even chess players who have not heard of the Perpetual Chess podcast. So we need to fix that. And the ways to do that include writing positive reviews on podcast platforms or YouTube comments telling friends, all that stuff makes a difference in helping spread the word about the show. But of course, I most of all want to thank people who provide financial support to the show. Without you all, Perpetual Chess would not be possible. So without further ado, I would like to give thanks to the following people and entities. Chessable.com, David Lazarus of LazmanChess.com, coach of Dave's Young Tigers on Lee Chess, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess Blog, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, 
Frenchess Twitch channel, Anidi Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, The Charlotte Chess Center, The Chess Central's Chess Blog, ChessMood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Heath, Danny Davidson, David Mitchell, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Snyder, I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Farhan Thawar, Barras Awaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harfst, I am Greg Shahadi, Gregory Gullick, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jay Garrison, Jeff Martinson, Jeff Schaefer, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John MacArthur, Kevin Forsythe, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Sell, The King's Crusher YouTube channel, Lucio Casada Silva, The Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mr. Mike Shahadi, The Famous Mr. Dodgy, The Nerd Nays Twitch Channel, Grandmaster Peter Prohaska, Peter Sodi, Philip Flummins, The Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Ross Crossland, Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gerson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, The Vintage Patsers, which is a chess.com improver group, Wayne Beam, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz, Antonio Cancino, Antonio K. Leonfort, FM Andre Terakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Bill Trammell, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard, Lynn, Brian, Chase, Brian, Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Cameron Davis, Chad Hilton, Chess of Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Kiefer, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach J's Chess Academy, Costa Carras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Blaskotschek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley, Dalen Shelton, Tennis Parrish, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Edwin Rodriguez, Ethan Smith, Evan Rosenberg, Ewan Richardson, Ian Mason, Felipe Melo Padilla, Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Francis Latart Lavoir, Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zananis, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Gautam Narula, Gene Stewart, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Han Shute, Harish Srinivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovach, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Perry, James Aspinwall, James Benastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, Jadeep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jesse Takumos, Jesse McNulty, Jim Ratliff, Joe Dosano, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John McAdams, John Tully, Juan Almagar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, WGM Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, Grandmaster Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, I am Kostya Kravutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Boyovsky, Macaulay Peterson, Maria Emelyanovas, aka Photo Chess, Mark Shaves, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marco Bulatovich, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Matthias Plock, the Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gobel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Negmat Malajanov, 
Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Blaine, Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management Limited of Switzerland, Randall Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbach, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Titi, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, The Say Chess YouTube Channel and Publishing Empire, Scott McKinnon, Scott Rose, Sean Kraus, Sebastian Finsterwalder, Sergey McCagan, Seth Ruzica, Sean Tracy, Silver Knights Enrichment, Stefan Roller, WGM Tata Vabrahamian, Thomas Brown, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, FM Timothy Wall, Tobiah Rex, Tom Edsel, Tommy Farron, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and Jivko Stoyanov. Thanks to you all for the support, and we will catch you all next week. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.